This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock on this foggy but... Uh, Behind all the fog, I think there's a nice bit of sun Saturday morning. Thanks to Brian Redmond for the last two hours with the breakfast buffet. Edward Hayden will be with you at 10 o'clock with the Saturday show, but between now and then, we'll be talking business. Bits, the Kilkenny-based IT and cyber security company, are in the midst of an expansion that will see them double their staff numbers. Company founder and chief executive Gavin Dixon will be joining us to tell us about his business journey over the last 20 years. I was at a briefing during the week on the progress of the Abbey Quarter project, the development in the heart of Kilkenny City, which is seeing investment in excess of 100 million euros. We'll be hearing from Colette Byrne, Chief Executive of Kilkenny County Council, as well as Jason Clerken, Chief Executive of the Abbey Quarter, the partnership company involving the council and the Ireland Strategic Investment Fund, the company charged with developing the site. And we'll be putting another 20 questions to someone well-known in the world of business in Carlow Kilkenny. But first, the issues of supply chain squeezes, Brexit impacts on trade, labour shortages and the impacts of COVID on business have been recurring themes on this programme and elsewhere indeed over the last number of months. Joining me on the line to discuss these from a practical perspective is Lily Holmes, Managing Director of PB Machine Tech in Bagnallstown and a past EY Entrepreneur of the Year finalist. Good morning, Lily. Good morning, John. How are you? Very well on this foggy but nonetheless bright morning, if that's not a contradiction in terms. Now, Lily, PB Machine Tech is part of the Burnside group of companies. Before we get stuck into supply chains and all that sort of stuff, tell us the story of the group and indeed your own company. Yes, thanks, John, anyway, for the opportunity to to have a chat with you this morning. Uh, You're right, uh, PB Machine Tech is one of the companies in the Burnside family of hydraulic cylinder making businesses that are in County Carlow. So the business started back in 1974 with four brothers, my father Paddy and his brothers Tom, Anthony and Jim, when they formed a business to make hydraulic cylinders uh, because there was a demand and a lack of supply that time in places like Armour Salmon for for making uh, beet harvester equipment and so on. So it started very, very small like that. And uh, the business grew over the years and uh, will be 50 years old now in two years' time. So it's, it's there quite a while. And at this stage, to wind on fast, I suppose it's a three-generational company with um, all manufacturing in Carlow, County Carlow, based, based in Tullow, outside Bagnallstown and in Bagnallstown and Carlow Town. And uh, also Burnside also have a plant in Pennsylvania where there's manufacturing as well. Uh, jobs in the county are up at about 1,000. So 1,000, wow. Yeah, an important employer and feel a responsibility then to people. And we're lucky to have great staff, really, really good staff, flexible staff and long-standing staff um, within all of the factories. But we could do with a lot more right now. And we're really sourcing for more and finding that quite challenging at the minute. Yeah, now hydraulic cylinders, tell us some of your clients and where they would be used. 
Okay, so the t- um, first of all, I suppose I should say the cylinders are like muscles for machinery, it's the same as the muscle is to the body, so they, they move, lift, push, and, and uh, extend pieces of equipment. So things like forklifts, like garbage trucks that come to pick up your bin at the door, um, agricultural machinery such as a plough, a harvester, all of those types of equipment um, use hydraulic cylinders. So some key names there, I suppose, would, would be Linda for forklifts, JLG for all those aerial work platforms you see around the around the world on construction sites and cleaning windows. A name that you see more often in Ireland there now that um, is one of our very large customers. It's a company called Snorkel. They're Snorkel lifts. Again, mm. people people use them as as lifting aerial platforms for uh, reaching high high um, high workplaces. Yeah, there's some examples. So um, you mentioned Snorkel uh, and you mentioned other companies around the world. So the hydraulic uh, cylinders that they're using often are from County Carlow. Absolutely, yeah. And, and it's nice. And in fact, recently we had an occasion to buy ourselves a work platform. And it was really interesting for the guys that work in the factory, particularly because we bought one which um, came back came from the UK. But we ourselves have supplied the cylinders to that company, Snorkel. And it's nice now to be using some of the final equipment that we provide the the cylinders for. But that can happen all over the world, absolutely. Yeah. We so you're sending. 80%. Yeah, you're sending the hydraulic cylinders out of County Carlow, but presumably they come in. They don't come in, but you get raw bits of steel, uh, and you use components that you're getting from all around the world to put them together. We're hearing a lot about supply chain issues. How are these affecting you or are they affecting you? They are affecting us and affecting us badly. Um, Anybody in the manufacturing world will know now uh, that steel is is a a rare commodity and um, (laughs) to get your hands on and to get your hands on anything like in anything like the period we used to. So uh, with all of the various things that are going on, be them political or economical around the world, there's a a knock on effect as, as is normally the case anyway. So to obtain steel in particular, but it's extending now to things like packing timbers and even plastics, rubber, various commodities now are hard to get your hands on now. So we've got to have much longer lead times and we're paying much higher costs for them. Mm. So it's having a big effect on anybody in manufacturing right now. And presumably you'd like to pass those increasing costs on to your customers, but then presumably your customers are pushing back. That's the constant struggle of businesses like yours, I would imagine. It is, and it, it challenges us, and you, you could very easily get squeezed in the middle, and to a certain degree we all are, um, because, uh, you know, customers will hang on there for as long as possible and not want to take on some of the cost, and at the same time we want to give excellent customer service, so we've got to secure the materials, thereby we have to pay the cost, and quite honestly, if you don't pay the cost right now, your supply chain literally will not supply you. So you're at the behest of whatever they demand for it almost. There are things like cartels going on now in the steel world, which, which make it really challenging. However, though, um, customers that are in, uh, in the steel industry themselves, because if somebody's making, say, a forklift, they've got to buy various steel commodities and other commodities like wheels and engines and, and, and electronics as well. And they, too, are incurring it from other, cost- uh, from other suppliers. So they do see that we're in a partnership together and they will contribute to some degree, but usually not sufficiently. So mm. there's, there's a challenge there to become more competitive then, yes. Yeah, and it's a constant juggle and a struggle, I would imagine, but you're getting through it. I was talking to you one day recently and you had issues sourcing paint, which wasn't something that I'd thought of, but would presumably you have to paint your hydraulic cylinders before you send them out. 
Yeah, gosh, every week brings <laughs> brings another surprising challenge onto the list, to be honest with you. So about a week ago, that was the latest one. Um, as in, you know, some of the component materials may not be coming in to the paint supplier to produce the final paints. And that, that has, has become an issue now too, just as plastics have. And uh, as I said, there was timber for, for packing materials. So some of them are caused by, by shortages and, and, and so on. And some of them are caused by other things like logistic issues and container shipping becoming so expensive now. And, mm. kind of and availability is one thing, but getting stuff through the land bridge, presumably from the UK and with Brexit, is another. How has that impacted, or is that talk of of the disruption of Brexit overblown in your view? Um, we're coping quite well with Brexit and it didn't turn out to be as big an issue for us as it might have for maybe for some other businesses but that's all down to preparation really um, we put a, a team on it in-house and a, and a good team and they worked hard and we did several things we tried to avoid coming through the land bridge wherever we can that's both going out with exports and coming in and uh, ports like Ross Lair are used heavily now and it's great to see the developments there it's a really big help to Ireland I think um, we we set up some other suppliers, so we, we stopped trading with some UK uh, suppliers and not customers, of course, but UK suppliers. Mm. And um, it, it has really, the outcome of Brexit really is it's brought cost with customs clearance, even though there's no tariff, but we still have to go through the process. Mm. And it has delayed uh, transport one way and the other, both ways, by about a day. Mm. So it's done that to us. Yeah, so another complication, but you're managing your way through it. Now, um, COVID, of course, has disrupted every business. Uh, manufacturing, you know, making hydraulic cylinders, presumably most people don't have the option of <laughs> working from home and making cylinders in their spare bedroom and so on. How have you kept the show on the road? Uh, Carlo, oftentimes unfortunately at the top of the charts when it comes to infection rates per 100,000. Yeah, I heard it again this week. The numbers are high in County Carlo. Um, thankfully in our company we've done very well but again we acted really quickly and uh, people really rode in and we have to thank our staff for that. They They really took care of each other and really did their very best to look after customers. So we had to stay working. Uh, we didn't stop because some of our customers needed to make machinery, like I spoke about, uh, such as forklifts, to even move PPE around the world to, to help with the pandemic. So in our case, yeah, uh, home working is not really an option. It's on-site manufacturing, and that's how we've had to be. So we've introduced a lot of protocols, John, things like distance control, obviously, temperature controls, antigen testing where needed and various other other protocols uh, obviously mask wearing throughout all of the time and I have to say it's not easy for staff and they've been brilliant because they've complied with those protocols so well and we've only had something like three cases in a year and a half in a big business and none of them were even company based you know yeah um, yeah it's been really good, yeah. Well done. But um, you did indicate that you are on the lookout for staff and you could actually expand your workforce by in the region at 10% if you could get people. That's a real challenge. Absolutely. It's, it, materials and people are our biggest challenges at the moment. And I would say, to be honest, uh, people are the bigger challenge right now at this moment in time. And we could easily increase by 10% if we could get staff tomorrow morning. We're interviewing all of the time and... At the same time, uh, we need a certain uh, skill set to come into the company or at least um, an ambition and an attitude to, to, to pick up on the skills. Mm. And we're encouraging everybody, men and women of all nationalities, to come join us. We have a really good dynamic team. Everybody's very helpful. We've got an in-house training centre even developed to encourage uh, education as people work. You know, there's the possibility to come and get a job, get some money 
good money in a reliable business that will do, will be long lasting and still develop your education because we have very good links as well in you know in the southeast even in general we have great links we have a, a university about to unfold here now mm-hmm. and we've got bodies like Skillness and Engineering the Southeast and various bodies that really want to help businesses by working with them to enable their staff to upskill. Well, Lily, pleasure talking to you as always and best of luck uh, to everyone in PB Machine Tech and throughout the entire Burnside group in County Carlow. Oh, thank you very much, John. And thanks for all your support um, for all of our businesses and to everybody, uh, as I say, staff mainly and everybody else that supplies into us and helps support us in any way. Thank you very much, Holmes, uh, Managing Director of PB Machine Tech. They're telling us about her perspective on many of the issues which impact on businesses today, supply chains, Brexit, staffing and indeed COVID. Good to get the practical view. We'll be back after the break with 20 questions. 20 questions is a popular feature that we do from time to time here on The Bottom Line and it's where we ask a series of simple questions to someone you may know from business across Carlock Kilkenny but who you may not know personally. And these questions are designed to give you an insight into what the person is like beyond business. Here's this week's guest. My name is John Hurley. I live in Kilkenny. I work for the Kilkenny Chamber of Commerce and my title there is Chief Executive Officer. Where were you born, John? I was born in Tralee in County Kerry. And tell us about your family growing up. So I was uh, the second eldest of a family of eight kids, five boys and three girls. And uh, we grew up in Tralee in County Kerry and I'd have many fond memories of that period of time. It was a good childhood and a good upbringing. Tell us about your education. So I went to school, um, local uh, school in the countryside and uh, then went on to boarding school for secondary school, did my leaving cert and uh, straight after my leaving cert I um, got a job and started my career and I stuck with that for some 30 years and, and more. what was that first grown up job? So my first grown up job uh, was the job that became my career um, it was working in an insurance company and um, I worked through that for over three decades and in there while there I further educated myself sat and did exams for the specialism the insurance industry I was in became a chartered insurer and I also put myself through college in my mid 30s in that who or what had the greatest influence on your career path? That was a, that's a difficult question. Um, I would have to say maybe an aunt of mine, very precious lady who is well in her 80s now and still uh, healthy and hearty. Uh, she worked in the insurance business as well and she told me that it was a great job. So when, I, when the opportunity came up, I said, yeah, let's give this a go. What's the favourite thing about your career? I think uh, it has to be the people, meeting people. I like talking and meeting with people, hearing about what they are doing, what they're achieving, the challenges they have, and if I can help out or contribute in some way, then that's for me uh, what the business is all about. Tell us about a significant time in your career. So, um, I suppose it would be, I think I'd pick out a time when I was in my 30s. There's, There's an old saying that if you want something done, ask a busy man. So I was very busy at that time, but it was the time when I took on a new job, got promoted to management. Um, We were in the throes of following through on a foreign adoption and we ended up travelling out that year uh, to Romania where we adopted our eldest child and I also completed an MBA in the University of Limerick. 
all in the one time. So I think that's one time that kind of stands out for me because it was very busy. Can you tell us about a typical working day for you now? So for me, a working day, I'm a, an early riser. So I'd usually be up uh, before seven o'clock, take the dog for a walk, go for a half hour walk. That gets me my mind into the right space. My day is usually planned from the day before. Um, I have a lot of things on my to-do list, but I try and have a number of proactive things, which I'm in control of, and then reactive, because in the business I'm in, it's very much a service business. So I need to be ready to react to my customers' wants and needs. Uh, so that's kind of typically what I would do. My day finishes up, then I try and finish up kind of around the six o'clock mark so as to make time for home and family. What do you value value most in a colleague? I think that would have to be honesty and commitment. You know, people with integrity that you can rely upon. Um, I don't necessarily, I've worked with many people over the years, um, different skill sets, different types of personalities, um, and you find a different way to work with all the different people. But the things that stand out is that um, when you are working with someone that you know where you stand with them, that when they, you give them a job or they say they're going to do something, you know what the outcome is going to be. Um, so I think that's that's a key thing is honesty and integrity uh, and, and them to do the best that they can. How would your colleagues describe you? I think professional in my approach. Um, I'm quite thorough um, and determined always to do a good quality job. Um, and also, I think I tend to keep a cool head. I don't get overly excited when the chips are down or when things are kind of maybe going slightly awry. Um, keep a cool head and always try and see the positive side of things. How do you deal with setbacks or overcome challenges? Again, stop, take challenge, uh, take stock of the situation, identify what the key issues are, um, what are the obstacles, what's in the way of what I want to achieve and how do we get around those and then put in place a plan and follow that plan. So I'd be very methodical and structured about taking situations like that on hand. How do you define a good day in your working life? So for me, a good day is a day when I come home um, having enjoyed it, having found it fulfilling, uh, having achieved things and having done some good for others or for the world or for my family or myself. How do uh, What piece of advice would you give to people starting out in their careers? I think that when you're starting out in a career, the key thing is to commit to it, whatever it is. And an awful lot of us, when we start a job, we're not sure how's it going to turn out. But if you commit to it, um, do your best, give it your all. Um, it'll either work for you as your career for life or others will see how committed you are and they will open more doors for you. So your commitment and drive and enthusiasm and positive uh, attitude, I think they're the, the key things to, to bring uh, to your career, whatever it may be. How do you like to relax? Well, family is very important to me. So I always make plenty of time for family, try to do as much as possible with my kids and with my wife. And, uh, you know, whether it is going for walks, the great outdoors, we're very much an outdoorsy uh, type of family or sitting in watching a film on TV or whatever. And I also um, am an avid DIYer, although not necessarily brilliantly good at it. But uh, I do keep myself busy fixing things that are broken around the house. Do you have a favourite holiday destination? 
Yeah, we'd have I'd have a few. I think the one I'd pick uh, if it has to be one would be the south of France. Um, again, that aunt of mine that I mentioned earlier had an apartment there uh, for a good number of years, uh, which was uh, readily available to all members of the family. And we spent many uh, summers down there. Lovely spot, par- fabulous part of the world. And it wasn't too touristy, so we really felt like we were part of the local community for our, our short stays there. So fond memories of that. What has the COVID-19 pandemic made you realise? I think more than anything else it has highlighted for me how fragile life is Uh, and when you just think that you have all things organised that you have things sorted that you know what is going to come tomorrow um, you know it's it's just extraordinary that a little bug uh, which is so small that it's invisible can bring the the whole world indeed to its knees and when it arrived we thought it would be sorted in a couple of months here we are almost two years later and uh, we're still not done with it What film would you recommend and why? Um, I think the Shawshank Redemption jumps out for me. It's a great story, um, fantastic acting, but the actual storyline um, of, you know, a guy down in his luck, uh, unfairly treated, um, you know, sent convicted of something that he didn't do uh, and how he never gave up. And uh, I like the way then that it has uh, uh, an uplifting, positive end where, you know, uh, life turns for the better for him in the end. Tell us something about yourself that might surprise us. Um, That's a difficult one. Oddly enough, and I don't know if this is consistent with other people, but I've no interest in retiring. A lot of people kind of my age, they kind of look forward to retiring and hanging up. I've no interest in actually sitting down uh, or engaging completely in golf or other sports or whatever. I prefer to always have um, objective things to do that are going to make a difference and contribute. So I have actually no intention of retiring ever. That doesn't necessarily mean I'll stay with the same job forever, but that I would hope that I will always find something useful to do that I'll get paid for and that I will make worthwhile for them to have me involved in it. What piece of music would you like to pick? Um, I think I'd like to pick Van Morrison and his music uh, or his song Bright Side of the Road um, I like a lot of his stuff um, I think he's a very eclectic, unusual sort of character but some of his older music uh, is really brilliant and that particular one has a nice uh, positive upbeat to it The great Van Morrison, uh, the chosen piece of music of John Hurley, who was our guest on 20 Questions this week, our uh, occasional or indeed sporadic feature where we ask people in business to answer questions about themselves and about their music and about books and films and all sorts of stuff like that. After the break, we'll be talking to Gavin Dixon, Chief Executive of BITS. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice, www.onf.ie.
Now, BITS, the Kilkenny-based IT and cyber security specialists, recently announced plans to double their workforce with confirmation they're seeking to recruit 20 new staff. It doesn't seem that long ago to me, anyway, that the company was established. So I recently caught up with Gavin Dixon, founder and chief executive of the company, uh, for a chat. And I started by asking him to tell us about his business journey. Certainly, yeah. Um, uh, it's hard to believe it's 20 years ago, but it would have been me starting out as a man in a van, going out and um, looking for the opportunities, working with small businesses. Uh, at the time, actually, um, broadband was only getting rolled out in Kilkenny, so I was kind of um, lucky in that regard. So I was able to talk to business owners about what that meant, because a lot of people were still using dial-up. And um, it really has evolved from there. After two or three years of that, I was taken that first step of your first employee, which is quite significant um, at that time. And we grew maybe to about seven or eight up until 2008 when the crash happened. Um, We were lucky we didn't have to let anybody go at that time. But equally, I suppose the economy was obviously tanked and we were trying our best to keep things steady. And that's what we did. We kept it steady for a few years. We we luckily didn't have any... um, um, eggs in any one basket so we were, we were well spread across sectors so we were able to keep ourselves afloat and keep going during those um, bad times and then we came out of the other side of that and started steadily growing again and uh, the numbers now are up to 20 and obviously with this jobs announcement that's where we're trying to double that workforce over the next three years. Yeah, just before we go into what's the driver of the growth been, you mentioned just how you went from being the man in the van on your own to taking on employees. Now you've grown to 20. Oftentimes people who who aren't running their own businesses fail to kind of get the hugeness at that step. Talk to us a bit about that. It is huge, yeah. I'll never forget when you take on that first person because all of a sudden um, and and they're, they're leaving a job to come to you inevitably. That was the way it was for me anyway. And that made it very real because they were leaving that job with a company to come to work for you. And um, you, the the pressure kind of fairly intense at that stage because all of a sudden it's not just about supporting me, it's me and this new person coming to join the team. And it's really, I think, once you get your head around that, um, the first one is always the biggest one. And after that, it becomes easier and you get more confidence in what you're doing and what they're doing. Um, but it is a huge step, definitely. Yeah. Mm. Now that twenty years you spoke of, it just seems like yesterday, uh, but it really is a long time ago, and it's it's an eternity in terms of technology, like broadband. Now we're talking five G. We're talking all sorts of stuff. You you can tell me all the different G's and all the <laughs> different stuff. What's been the driver of your growth? You did say you're you're looking at expanding the company from twenty, doubling it effectively. What's been the big driver? Yeah, you're, well, you're right with the technology evolving over the years. And as I said at the start, the, the idea that um, broadband was only getting rolled out when we were going out into doing what we're doing. Um, and I think the growth now is very much driven, um, first and foremost, around security. Businesses are very aware now of security requirements. Their SMEs uh, haven't, I suppose, had that front and centre for uh, a large part of their business in the, in the vast majority. So security is the first conversation you're having with business owners now um, after that then I suppose we're coming out of the back of a pandemic we're seeing people uh, and again talking about SMEs uh, dealing with something they've never had to deal with before and realising that the the whole work 
workplace has changed and that hybrid working is a huge part of that as well. So um, SMEs embracing that, uh, recognising that they have to have everything right to, to attract new talent. They have to allow for, in, in, in general, they have to allow for a hybrid working model and therefore there's going to be a need for technology around that. And they know that this is here for the longer term. And I think the third element of it is, is from that again is cloud. Because again, SMEs are now embracing technology such as cloud rather than traditional servers in a corner or in a comms room somewhere um, they're saying we don't need that capital expenditure we can do it on a subscription model and we need to talk to somebody about that and that's where we kick in It's the same as music like people used to buy music um, and have a CD or a record in the corner and they're yeah. renting the music <laughs> now it, often it, the case but It's exactly the not, same yeah. not, uh, not forgetting the fact that vinyl has had a resurgence I'm not sure we'll get back to dial up but um, <laughs> There is a thing called Moore's Law, I think, which is about the speed of of the development of technology. It must be challenging um, for a business, you know, with 20 people when you're dealing with dozens of of clients and, you know, calls morning, noon and night to keep up with the pace of change in the technology. Is that a big challenge? Yeah, it is a huge part of obviously what we do, because ultimately our clients rely on us to give them that information of what's coming down the line and the changes. Uh, a good example of that is Windows have, or Microsoft have announced Windows 11 coming out. In fact, it's out and business owners and managers are kind of going, how is this going to affect us? Because we remember when XP was um, retired and how is this going to impact our business? So they rely on us to tell them what's coming down the line and how we do it. So it ultimately comes down to training. And I suppose when we're at the size we're at, it allows us to to carve out more and more time for our employees and ourselves to be uh, trained and to understand what's happening and hearing what's happening in the industry so we can pass it on and make recommendations. Yeah, very good news from your company. Um, a couple of weeks ago, you announced um, that you're taking on, as you mentioned earlier, 20 new jobs. Tell us about that and how you're going to manage such huge growth. Yeah, well, look, at we have a structure in place now. I think that's what we've been working on a lot over the last year or two years. Um, I have a business partner, Paul Byrne, who's come in and working with me, and it's allowed me to step into this CEO role now. Paul's working in the MD role. And that structure allows us um, to bring more people in 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 a very um, proactive way and make sure that they're fitting into the structure properly. Um, so obviously we're a technology company when we need tech people predominantly. That's that's really where the, the initial jobs are in this. Um, so it's around tech support. It's around that cloud architecture type world. Um, and what we're doing with our team, as we've done over the, as I, I go back to the, the point about training, when we bring people in, uh, even if they're not at that level in terms of, I mentioned, but architecture type stuff, well, we can train them. We can bring them up along that journey because that's a journey that most uh, people in technology will want to go especially in our in our space mm. I would imagine in technology if you're not going forward or you're standing still uh, you're kind of going backwards um, you've got um, big plans as well and you're on the acquisition trail tell us about that yeah again part of this growth plan um, is for us to look at our options in terms of what's out there um, I think it's fair to say that there's probably a, a lot of IT companies out there and we I definitely feel, and I know that this is a, probably a general statement, but there's probably a little bit too many, and, and there's a relatively small uh, customer base at the same time. Um, so I suppose some of the stuff we've talked about when we, already around training and having the capacity to train, having support, having to sit down and talk to your client and talk about what's coming down the road. Um, not every IT company can do that, and therefore they may fall behind, as you've just said. So if we can... Uh, engage a company and bring them on with us and, and 
um, again talk about the structure fitting to our structure then I can pretty much guarantee we're going to push that company forward and we're going to help to manage their clients better arguably um, so that's the logic I suppose of looking at the acquisition And but on the other side of that we do have clients in Dublin we are servicing them uh, through uh, our help desk in Kilkenny but we do want to have more of a presence in Dublin we do see more growth in Dublin uh, as well so there's an, that's another element for us as well well, Gavin, pleasure talking to you and best of luck with uh, Bits and your continued expansion into the future. Thanks, John. That was Gavin Dixon speaking to me earlier uh, about Bits and his ambitious uh, plans for expansion and best of luck to everyone involved with Bits. Now, the Abbey Quarter is a massive development in the middle of Kilkenny City on the site of the old Smithix Brewery and Kilkenny County Council acquired the massive site after Smithix left and they took possession of it in 2017. Now, complete development of the area will eventually comprise office, residential, a huge part of it will be public realm up to 60%. There'll be a new hotel, retail and service space and it's expected to take up to 15 years. The site is currently a hive of activity with work on a large area of public realm and the brew house office building which is expected to cater for up to 300 people and work advanced there and we discussed that before. Well I was at a media briefing during the week that heard that work on building 7 another office development is expected to get underway next year as well as offices. This development will include space for retail, restaurants, service businesses and residential and when finished will comprise a whole new street for Kilkenny City expected to be about half the length of High Street the project is absolutely huge and as the name suggests will add a whole new quarter to Kilkenny City in relation to the development of the huge office provisions I asked Colette Byrne Chief Executive of Kilkenny County Council and partners with the Ireland Strategic Investment Fund to explain the funding of these massive office developments the brew house and the new building 7 these two buildings are the responsibility of the Abbey Quarter Partnership, which is a partnership between the Council and the Ireland Strategic Investment Fund and the NTMA. And the partnership borrows the money to do these buildings, so then they're let on a commercial basis. So the brew house is the first building. Hopefully we'll have it 100% let by the time it's actually finished. And then the partnership is lodging a planning application for the next building, um, in the next probably by December, I think. And that building will be mainly offices, but the ground floor will be mixed-use development. And I suppose what we're really trying to achieve here, that building will front out onto the new urban street that's running from St Francis Bridge to Bateman Quay. It'll be the first building opening up onto that street. And we want to make sure that at ground floor level, we have a mix of uses, that there will be people accessing that building, whatever those uses might be. It could be coffee shop, it could be small restaurant, but we will be designing it, I suppose, that it's not one big office block with only one access into it. That it there will be a mix of uses along that street. And I think it'll be an attractive location for sm- small service businesses because the street has been designed, I suppose, for cyclists, pedestrians. There will be access, obviously, for vehicles, for service and etc. But it'll be a very people-friendly environment to be in. Um, Many businesses would point to the fact that we've been through a very tough time, particularly for retail. How do you feel about the the point of view that, like, we don't need more units? Or or do you feel that, like, we can look forward with confidence and build it and they will come and it will lead to uh, improvement for Kilkenny overall? I think what we're aiming to do here is to add to the city centre. We don't want to compete with the city centre, but equally we want to make sure that we have leaf on the street. And I suppose that comes with that mix of use. And that mix of use could be any uses. I mean, I suppose post-COVID, none of us really know 
what's going to be here in two or three years time what how people will access spaces etc but I do think it's important that we plan to have a lively space that we have a place that people will be there in the evenings after hours I suppose one of the challenges we have I suppose is sometimes city centres can empty out in the evening Kilkenny not quite so I mean I know that we mightn't have people living in it the way we might like but lots of people come in and walk around it and experience the public realm and I suppose the next phase then in the Abbey Quarter and it's thanks to getting the street moving on and I mean for people to understand the two and a half acre park around St Francis Abbey and the urban street we have planning permission for that we were successful in getting money from the URDF and we're now at detailed design and we hope to be out to tender early in the new year and hopefully on site constructing it um, by probably May, June next year and what that does is it opens up all of the Abbey Quarter for development and it allows us now to look at the whole residential piece because the residential piece is important. The design guidelines adopted by the council require us to deliver 30 to 35% of the development on the site to be residential. So it's extremely important that we move now with the street being developed to look at how we develop that residential, what the tenure will be, what the mix will be, whether there are one bedroom, two bedroom family units, whether it accommodates older people. So we have to look at all that in detail now. But by getting the street done, allows us to really consider that mixed-use development and the residential in a sustainable way. And outside of the Abbey Quarter, some exciting developments going on. Plans afoot for further pedestrian bridges over the river, new uh, urban spaces, a plaza outside the library, for example, uh, along John Key. Tell us about those. Yeah, no, some of them we have money for, I suppose. we People will know there's a planning application out at the moment, a part eight, on public consultation for the space beside the Watergate Theatre. And that would be an outdoor performance space. And I suppose hopefully we'll be well used by our festivals and others um, for events in the next when we get it developed probably by the middle of next year and then equally the, we have funding in place to look at making a more permanent and better space in the market yard where we did a temporary seating during COVID and that's linked then to an upgrade of Kieran Street so the consultants have been appointed to look at the design of that that will go through the planning process but we have accessed funding for those projects so they will go through planning the other one we have accessed funding for but we haven't appointed the design team yet is the space around the Carnegie Library I think people appreciate when they see Butler Gallery now in the Evans's home and how it opens up that space that we do need to upgrade the space around the Carnegie Library. The library itself, the public part of that, the main public part will move to the Mayfair, but we will be retaining a public element to the Carnegie Library. It could be local studies. We still have to look at how we will incorporate that, but the space around it is a significant space, so we're starting to work on that. So those ones, I suppose, are in, you're talking about the next three to five years. Further on then I suppose is the objective that we will develop and it's in our development we will develop two more pedestrian bridges across the river that will create great access I suppose and really bring the river to the fore I mean for a long time because the Abbey Quarter was in private ownership I suppose there wasn't access through the site but getting the Abbey Quarter and getting that public space creates huge connectivity and huge opportunity for connectivity. So the aim would be that we will do two pedestrian bridges, one between John's Bridge and the Outer Ring Road, the pedestrian bridge that's on the Outer Ring or the Ring Road, and the second one then would be to the other end of the city, I suppose, connecting maybe the Bleach Road back across the river. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie 
Jason Clerken, uh, work uh, proceeding apace on the brew house development. Do you expect it to be open pretty soon? Uh, yeah, actually, it's uh, it's moving along nicely at the moment. Uh, we expect to have it finished in uh, December, and we'd expect to have tenants starting to come in in January with bums on seats in uh, the first quarter of next year. And it promises to be a, a rather uh, different working environment for Kilkenny. Uh, huge public realm improvements been undertaken around this uh, office development as well. Uh, yeah, and I think it's one of the things that's probably uh, uh, missed is that there's a significant public ground being developed by the local authority, and in particular around the brew house with the upgrading of Horsebarrick Lane and the brew house square, which provides a really great environment for people to work, which is an added benefit when you come down to the Abbey Quarter. And there's the intriguingly titled Building 7. That's the next step of the development, as I understand from the briefing this morning. Tell us about that. Yeah, Building 7, which is yet to be named, is uh, wrapped around uh, the other side of the Brewhouse Square. So now that uh, with the success of the Brewhouse and uh, coming to completion, we are in design on the next building, which will have some more offices, uh, a different uh, offering than the Brewhouse and with some ground floor uh, restaurant, retail and service type space. Um, an issue that has come up on a number of occasions is the whole funding of the project. Can you just explain that to people again, how, how the, this project and all this development, which I understand is going to cost ultimately somewhere between 100 and 120 million, how is that going to be funded? Yeah, and there's a there's a distinction between the public realm, which the council are doing, and they're using their own resources and grant funding for that, and what the partnership is doing, which is delivering all of the commercial buildings down at Abbey Quarter. So that operates like a private company. So we borrow the money from the market to deliver the buildings, uh, which we then let, and then obviously pay back those loans over time. And it'll be phased over time. So it'll be through a combination of uh, leasing up, uh, renting and selling and recycling some of the cash for the next buildings to come along. But you're talking significant uh, resources, somewhere in the region of 80 to 100 million for the building of the, of the actual office buildings and, and the other uh, infrastructure, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. It's not cheap. And uh, I think uh, over the life of the development, we could be spending upwards of 100 million. Each building typically takes about 15 million to uh, deliver. And uh, and uh, so when you look at all the phases in the various buildings, it'll add up to 100 over the life of development pretty quickly. Uh, COVID interrupted the building on site here. Uh, there were uh, speculation about the demise of the office space. Uh, do you think that's been exaggerated or how is the market responding to your proposition lately? Yeah, I mean, exaggerated, I suppose we were on, on certain times and there was a bit of a knee-jerk response early on, but what we're finding is that there's still quite a demand there, and in fact the demand is coming from further afield and Kenny acting as well. There's no doubt that users are looking at their space differently, but they're still taking the same space with circulation space, they're looking at their offices and environment to come and collaborate, and maybe looking at a hybrid going forward where people can work remotely, which I think is a good thing. Um, so all in all, we can look forward to seeing people on site working here in the Abbey Quarter early next year. Yeah, we're really excited about that. Uh, there'll be uh, people working here and it'll be great to see the building loose and it'll be great to see uh, the couple of hundred people down here and the benefit it'll bring to the city. And, and then we're moving on to get the next building on site uh, once we have planning next year. That's uh, Jason Clerken there, who's the Chief Executive of the Abbey Quarter, bringing us up to date with uh, plans for that huge site in the centre of Kilkenny. That's all we've got time for this week on The Bottom Line. Remember, if you have any comments or ideas, or you'd like to nominate a business we should cover, you can get in touch with us, The Bottom Line, at kclr96fm.com, or if you'd like to listen back to this or any episode, just search for The Bottom Line on KCLR on any podcast platform. Thank you to all our guests this week, Lily Holmes, 
Holmes, John Hurley, Gavin Dixon, Colette Byrne and Jason Clerken. Thanks to Deirdre Drummy who produces the show and thanks most of all to you for listening. Coming up after the news at 10 is Edward Hayden with a show packed full of the usual delights. I hope you'll join me again next Saturday after the news at 9 for more stories for and about business. In the meantime, have yourself a great weekend. Be careful on the roads. Don't forget the clocks go back tonight. Have a good week and wherever you are, stay safe, stay tuned to KCLR and keep the faith. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast.